You ready? Yeah. Hit me. Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, you can find our work all over the internet. I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Inside Hook, at Haggerty, and at Motor Trend. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as EV Pulse and TechSpot. This week, Ben and I uh, accidentally booked the same vehicle, and you're going to hear probably the same opinion just twice. Actually, I'm more certain we're probably going to argue about things. Have we cars. ever had the same opinion on anything? This? I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember. You know how much I remember about our podcast over the year, Ben? Uh, over the years, not very much. You I don't remember you, anything. <laughs> I listened to another podcast, and I'm I'm not saying you should necessarily tune out our podcast and listen to this one, but it's called good, yeah, good advice. It's called How Did This Get Made, and it's uh, about movies, specifically bad movies. And one of the three hosts, June Diane Raphael, uh, has talked about how she doesn't remember any of the movies they've ever watched on the podcast, and I think there are conservatively seven years of seasons. <laughs> of films that they've watched specifically to discuss. It's as soon as she watches the movie and discusses it, it's like it purifies it out of her brain and she no longer thinks about it ever again. And I know, Sammy, it's like that for you with cars, is it not? Well, it's not like that with the cars, but it's like that with the podcast. Once I once I talk about it on the podcast, I don't remember what the podcast was about. In fact, you and I think you don't either because sometimes you'll message me and be like, what did we talk about last week? No, and- I remember everything and it's great because I can – and you don't. So sure. when when we're together or in public, I can just put, put words <laughs> in your mouth. Be like, well, on the podcast, you said such and such a thing about this car. And then you're forced to agree with me or you look quote unquote crazy. Yeah, so this week, what car are we going to be talking about, either where I agree with you or sound crazy? So, well, I mean, it could be both, Sammy. We're talking about the 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Oh, yes. Okay. So the brand new Cadillac Escalade is, it's an all-new generation product. Most of it has been changed, I think, save for the engine, which is still a 6.2 liter V8. Well, that's the standard engine, but there is another optional engine for the first time we're getting an Escalade diesel with a 3 liter diesel. Uh, that's something that's available across the whole lineup for full-size SUVs from General Motors. Okay, and um, otherwise, we're looking at a car, that, uh, uh, an SUV, that has essentially brought class and premium features to the the usual suspects of the Chevrolet Suburban and Tahoe, right? Yeah, you could say that, but I think that what's most important about 2021 as a model year for Cadillac is they really made an effort to make the Escalade more than just a fancy Yukon or Tahoe. I think that this is – I know we always say that, or maybe we don't always say that. I think we always say that. No, they, but if you look every back – Every premium vehicle that has a, a mainstream um, cousin, we say, is this just that with a with – a, with you know, leather seats. But if you look back at the early history of the Escalade, it was super guilty of being that. Uh, the The first Escalade was rushed to pr- production. It came out after the the Yukon Denali, I believe, and there was almost no difference between them. It was it was literally just a uh, a makeover, a cosmetic makeover, and there was no new features. Uh, eventually, the GM started to change that by giving it a larger engine, more sophisticated, or at least not as low range in the all-wheel drive system. You, you ended up with like something that was more usable day-to-day than something you would take off-road. And then I think in the previous generation truck, um, you got stuff like the hybrid, 
which was uh, I know there was a hybrid version of the Yukon and the Tahoe as well, but they really tried to make that the flagship Escalade. It was the most expensive version you could get. Then the generation that came after that, it it really leaned on styling to to make a difference visually. And I think Cadillac was able to separate themselves visually from the Yukon and the Tahoe. But Sammy, for 2021, I think they tried to go beyond just the look and mm-hmm. create a vehicle and an experience that really feels a cut above what you could get by paying $10,000 less for a Denali. And did they succeed or not? I think they, I really think they succeeded. This is a car that oozes like personality, style. It, 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 you know, so many luxury cars I think are meant to be more emotional, which is meant to say, which is supposed to say they're supposed to make you feel something either when you look at it or when you, when you drive it. And this is one of those cars. When you look at an Escalade, you immediately go, wow. When you get inside of this brand new Escalade, I think the, the overwhelming response is holy. Like this is, Everything is over the top, and and there are some things in this vehicle that I I think are are like almost industry first. That that dashboard that it has a full a massive dashboard. Um, it's it's a digital dashboard. I believe it's curved, and I think that's one of the first automotive implementations of a curved screen. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, use the marketing term for that, which is 38 diagonal inches, Sammy. Wonderful. Um, that is. Did you measure that, or you just looked? No, at that's le- legitimately what's written on the website. As soon as you load up the es- that and the other marketing term for Escalade, which I love, is never stop arriving. That's <laughs> that, that's is that a byproduct of how large the vehicle is? <laughs> it's, you get yeah. it, you it's have like, arrived. It's like, like you know, if you accelerate towards light speed, you never quite get there. Like you can, the amount of energy required to move those last final aspects of your yes, mass. I know this. Of course, I know this. Of course, you know sure. everyone knows this. So it's like that with the Escalade. It's like you can never – it's never quite done arriving at the valet stand. It's always a little bit more escalated around the corner. It is a huge vehicle and um, it, it – I don't know if it looks great, but it looks like an Escalade. Like when you when you envision an Escalade, um, if, if you have never been told what an Escalade should be, this is what it would be end up looking like in your mind, I think. And, and- like it is big, it is bold, it is full of like just every aspect of it is either like caricature size large – Enough for somebody to – you cannot ignore it. Like that's the point of it I think. And, and on the outside too, I mean the Escalade has a giant, giant grill like every truck these days. But it has some interesting lighting details that oh, yeah. uh, they, they, they kind of pull it away from the Yukon. I keep going back to the – I'm not going to talk about the Tahoe too much. But I'm going to talk about the Yukon because the Denali version is is for all intents and purposes Escalade light. Um, but if you if you go around to the back of the Escalade and park it beside a Yukon, there's a very interesting difference that I saw, and that's the so the vehicles have a pop up um, glass for the tailgate, so you don't have mm-hmm. to open the whole tailgate. You can just open the glass portion, reach it. If you're super tall, you can reach yeah. in and, and grab stuff. You've got to get on your tippy toes, I think. Yeah, but the the reason I'm bringing this up is because on the Yukon, the glass on both of the vehicles, the glass covers more than just the opening. There's like uh, the opening itself is smaller than the glass, so the glass goes out to these blackout panels that run down either side of the tailgate. I say blackout panels on the Yukon, but if you look on the Escalade, those panels actually contain lights, if if I remember correctly. So this is a case of General Motors giving the Escalade something that's quite different from what the Yukon had. And they they didn't just say, okay, we'll give the Yukon a version of it too. They said, no, we're just going to black out with plastic on the Yukon and we're really going to make the effort on the Escalade to give it this special kind of rear end. 
And I think that's that's the kind of effort that I don't think we saw in terms of styling for previous versions of the truck. I'm I really do like the attention to detail with the exterior, those lighting elements every time you walk up to the car there. There is something that is becoming more and more prevalent, which is this like walk up lighting animation. Um, and the the rear of the vehicle does this really interesting, almost like a wave with its with its tail lights. Um, that is really cool. I will admit there is one small design aspect of the exterior of the Cadillac that really irks me, and it's the um, this like C pillar. There's like a really weird design going on by the C pillar, um, where well, the just, windows it's divided into four. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there. It is really distracting. I really wish that they could. Um, address like i don't know address that and make it look a little bit more cleaner i don't like the little cadillac logo on that sail panel either i think it's out of place with the rest of the vehicle there are other aspects about the vehicle which is interesting i believe like you know where where you like press your thumb on the on the handle to lock and unlock the door that is like in the shape of the cadillac crest which i think is a really you had a thumb press thing i had like a like a inside the handle has like a, a rectangular button that you pull towards you Right, that's to open the door, but I yeah. mean to lock and unlock the door. If you just like tap the the outside of the the handle, there's usually like a little sensor on the outside of the handle, um, and it's like it's shaped like the the Cadillac crest, which is kind of cool. And again, if you want to open up the trunk, uh, you press on the on the ginormous Cadillac badge on the trunk. Okay, kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that makes me sound really stupid. I did yeah. not know you could open the trunk. <laughs> With that button? <laughs> I, I could imagine. Because I was standing there for so long, and I was like, there has to be a way to open this. It's good that you mentioned this now, because I was about to complain about it. Because I looked everywhere you would normally find a trunk release, and I couldn't find it. And I was going to complain, because there is a way to open it uh, from the back without using a button. There's a, a little light shines down in the shape of the Cadillac logo. Mm-hmm. And if you put your boot or shoe or whatever in that light... For exactly the right amount of time, which seems to vary depending on how cold it is outside, it will automatically pop open the trunk. Or you can right. use the remote. I don't want to do either of those things. I want to be able to just push it and open it. So now, that's that's how professional I am, folks. The fact that I couldn't figure out I was supposed to slam the giant logo. Can you just well, like, I mean, punch yeah, it? Um, I want you to imagine like my – when I looked at it, I was like – I have to open this. I don't want to take my hands and I don't want to take the keys because I have a couple of keys and I don't want to reach. I don't know where I put How them in my pocket. How many keys do you have? I don't know. I separate my car keys from my house keys. So therefore How many houses do you have though? Ben, this is not what the conversation is. It is it more than moving. two keys is what I'm asking? Yes, it is okay. more than two keys. So what I'm trying to say is I don't want to go fishing in my pockets for this key to open the door. So I end up looking at the back of this this tailgate and I'm like – there has to be a way to open this. So I touched here, I touched there, and I I believe you can open the window from the outside of the vehicle. Yeah, there is a little button to do that. And I'm I like, found no, that. not doing. I don't want to do that. So no, I close no that, and I just start like imagine you're just like feeling around. And I immediately thought of like you know the Hyundai's uh, have like a a secret like trunk release in the logo. And I just gave that a shot. Press the logo. I was and I was imagining it was a more scenario like you were in somewhat like like you were in an old timey library, like in an <laughs> Indiana Jones movie, and you leaned against a bookshelf and like one of the yeah. books moves, and then like the, there's a door that opens. And be like you were like leaning against the logo with your elbow, and suddenly it popped up. Yeah. But um, it's it's funny you should mention the the pop up for the glass. So on the remote, there's also the option to pop the glass or pop the um, full tailgate. The buttons look exactly the same. Yeah. And I kept popping the whole tailgate, but the thing, uh, sorry, the, the popping the glass only, but you don't know that it's happened because it doesn't pop out. It just releases. 
And uh, unless you're unless you hear the release happen, you just keep pushing buttons until something happens. So I would pop open the tailgate glass. And nothing would happen. And then I would pop open the tailgate and then I would close it. But the tailgate glass is still open. So I would be driving and I'd be like, oh, where's that wind noise coming from? It's coming from <laughs> the back. And this kept happening. It's really frustrating. Which is which is frustrating because let's go, let's talk about the interior of the vehicle. It's a very quiet cabin. It, and, and even in terms of wind noise, I wasn't too disturbed by it. I can imagine if you had the window, the rear trunk window open, you'd hear it. Like I that. once drove a Denali like from the previous generation with that popped for like – I want to say 20 miles, <laughs> wondering I, – I, I thought I had the moonroof open, but no, I was just an idiot. So you're just like looking up all the time like what is going on and it's really happening behind you. Yeah. Um, it might not have been a Denali. It might have been another SUV, but it was the same kind of thing. Talking about what you thought about the uh, the interior of this vehicle because I was – I'm both really impressed, but also a tiny bit let down by the design aspects of it. I I wasn't really enthusiastic about the accents and trim, or even the leather the leather material was didn't really stand out. But we sh- I should add, the model I had was the Sport Platinum, and I believe there's a higher trim level than that um, offered by Cadillac, and maybe that's where all the really truly fantastic materials are. Uh, so I also had a Sport Platinum. I don't know if there's a higher version because there's something called the Premium Luxury Platinum, which just sounds like they're strung together. Every word, word they could <laughs> use to, but, to, to describe a luxury vehicle. But both of these are priced the same. They're both 101290 bucks starting. That's if you just get uh, two-wheel drive. If you go up to all-wheel drive, I think it has another three grand. But um, it's really hard to tell if there's a huge difference in, in interior quality. I, I really liked the interior of the Escalade. I think it's, for the first time, way better than what you find in a Yukon Denali. And one of the reasons for that is even the Yukon Denali has a totally different, or if not totally different, but a seriously different interior compared to a regular Yukon. And the Cadillac looks nothing like any of the other GMC SUVs inside. It has that huge curved panel. The cool thing about the panel, and Sammy didn't mention this, but it's kind of divided into three sections. So yes, on the very well divided, really well divided, actually. I'm really far, impressed with how they divided it. On the far left, you have a touchscreen, which is unusual, and it took me a little while to get used to this. But that that screen shows you your trip information. Uh, it also allows you to configure the gauge cluster that's in front of you. You can choose the different view modes, and it has something for you to control the heads-up display. Then it's in- very intuitive to do that instead of having to use the the thumbsticks or whatever on your steering wheel or your your touchscreen to figure that out. A big touchscreen over there to figure out what's going on right in front of you, uh, and you're changing your your viewpoints all the time. Having that those controls for the gauge cluster and for the head-up display right next to it was so much more useful than than trying to fiddle around with other controls. And then you have the gauge cluster itself, which is right in front of you. It's also OLED. And then to the far right, you have another touchscreen, which has the option of using a rotary controller or the touchscreen itself. And that's, you know, your standard infotainment stuff. So it's it's, it's not just like one... They use kind of a framing of from trim, like metal and plastic, to Mm -hmm. separate these three areas, which I think was smart. Uh, I kind of think that... And this might be controversial, but uh, Porsche and and Mercedes are experimenting with dashboards that when they're turned off, they just look like a mass of black plastic because it's one single screen. Cadillac didn't do that. Cadillac has ornamentation on the dash that's visually interesting whether the screens are on or not. That matters to me. I think that that's detail that I'd like to see in more cars. Um, I found the leather to be of good quality. Uh, The the trim itself on the dash and on the doors, I liked it. I had a nice, like a, a red 
wine burgundy color. Right. You mentioned and, that. You had a different color interior than me, and that probably does add a lot to that like wow factor. Yeah, and it's 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 uh, it was a nice contrast to the black uh, paint that I had. Um, and I, one one more thing, we're talking about the the, the pricing between these. Uh, the, actually, I'm going to cir- I'll circle back to Denali pricing be- later on when we're talking okay. about. Uh, the Don't forget. Problem. No, I, I won't forget. Okay, but there's uh, also there's also a lot of junk in the infotainment system I never used, Sammy. Yes, there's a lot going on in the infotainment system. So much so that it took me a long while to get used to it. Things like just trying to use like uh, like uh, the cameras to to activate, you know, to, to see where you know the dimensions of the vehicle is a app on the infotainment touchscreen and for some reason it's a photo camera not a like i don't know video camera or like a parking sensor or anything like that and so it took me a while to like associate the two things like that um and additionally if you want to make any changes to the um digital dashboard you have to do that through the infotainment system which took a bit more um you know digging around in these screens yeah i I did not know that i did i did not dig to that point and find that feature i was like you know i wish i could configure this a little more past what i was already being yeah because the the, like it is it looks so visually impressive but then when you're like i need to change i want to change some of the information on this it's not immediately apparent how you do that so that's in the infotainment screen which i think is it's a little too deep for um for just quick changes or anything like that um, what did you think of that infotainment screen? Because you can operate it through touch or um, a rotary knob by the gear selector, which I found completely um, useless, unnecessary. And I found the touchscreen operation to be pretty good. Yeah, the touchscreen is great. I mean, it's way better than the Q that we've been ha- we've been using in the past with Cadillac. So great for them to move past that and admit that th- that was a mistake. Um, On the other hand, I didn't like the bank of buttons to the left, underneath that left touchscreen. Um, there's a, a bank of buttons that changes the drive modes, changes the, um, the two wheel drive, four wheel drive, a couple of other things as well that I found a little too, oh, the, uh, the air suspension, um, just things that I, I found distracting and like, well, left, left most buttons are never great because it's the one part of the car you never look at when you're driving down right. to the left. So they're always out of the way. They're always forgotten. Uh, if, if we wanted to talk about one part of the infotainment system I did like, I had the crazy like 36 speaker is stereo system, I believe, tell in my me, vehicle. Yeah, tell me about this. I, it's perhaps the – it's definitely the best sounding Cadillac system I've ever used. I uh, it, it, Sorry, it's, it's by AKG. It's a studio reference 36 speakers. Um, it's standard on the Sport Platinum and the Premium Luxury Platinum. Premium premium luxury platinum. I can't believe I just said that. Uh, I I just did a quick look, Sammy. Uh, the premium luxury platinum and the sport platinum seem to have identical features. Uh, I'm thinking maybe the differences might be uh, internal in terms of color you can get for interior and maybe materials. Okay. Um, anyway, back to the stereo. It has speakers in the headrests. It has speakers everywhere. It it I actually for the first time used the 3D sound system and was not appalled by it. This is really, listeners. This is really important because Ben, in in my experience, my I've been working with him for a while now, and every time I ask him to talk about an uh, a, a an audio system, and especially because Ben has some history in music production um, and music making, he he's always been extremely critical of audio quality inside of a vehicle, and and has always said it is the the worst place to listen to music, and if he could, he would turn them off. Um, and not listen to music while he's driving. What is your thoughts here? Well, I would not. not I always listen to music <laughs> when I'm driving. But it is but the you worst. You wouldn't be impressed. 
it is the worst environment just because there's so much uh, extraneous noise that you can't really dial out. And you're in a long rectangular um, environment, which is not great. There's a lot of reflective services like glass in there. Uh, but the thing about 3D systems is all music is recorded in stereo because humans have two ears. That's basically how it works. 3D systems are signal processors that try to guess at where different elements of a recorded audio track might be spatially. And then it processes the sound to simulate three dimensions of sound, whatever that means. Because human beings already use our two ears to spatially um locate sound that's that's why we don't get eaten by predators in the wild like that's that's how it works but uh normally it sounds like garbage any kind of processing is going to sound like garbage the cadillac processing was actually decent and i was very 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 surprised although i will say it puts the sound stage really towards the back of the vehicle like it sounds like you have a band behind you in addition to kind of in front of you uh, I kept the seats folded down all the time, so I would have mass- maximum access to the speakers in the back, and I, I really enjoyed it. And that's not something I can say about a lot of vehicles. Um, there's also, you know, a, a thing in, in big vehicles, big three-row vehicles, is um, like a PA system for people in the back, and this has that. It's called a conversation enhancement, which I think is poorly described as a. Uh, yeah, I just wanted. I was like, <laughs> when is it going to improve my vocabulary? Like that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. How is it going to improve the awkward silences in this car? But what that does is play the voice of the driver in the rear speakers. And the people who were sitting in the back of the vehicle um, with me when I was driving it were extremely impressed with how clear it was, but also asked me to turn it off because it was a bit too, um, one, a bit too sensitive. It would, it would hear me muttering under my breath. And two, uh, they, they just found it to be a... It interfered with their, uh, with their sound system. The I, had, I had no rear passengers because that's the lifestyle I lead. Oh, I just put people in the back and lay you get in the back of this. And they go, okay. Um, otherwise, let's talk about the drivetrain. This 6.2 liter V8, how much horsepower does it make again? I'm, it's I'm 460, I'm, I'm, I believe, or 420 horsepower and 460 pound feet of torque. What motor is this? Does this have a name that we know of? Is it an LT1? It's, is it a. It's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's uh, the LT generation, uh, I guess you would call it uh, fifth generation. Uh, V8 from General Motors. It's 420 horsepower and 460 pound-feet. That's what I had in my vehicle, too. You can also get a 3-liter turbo diesel. Um, That's 277 horsepower and 460 pound-feet. One thing I will point out, it's a no-cost option on the Escalade, which is wild. But if you buy a Denali, it's $1,500 less to get a turbo diesel. So kind of the first time I've seen that in in a long time for pricing. I had no major issues with the um, engine. I had a few concerns at low speeds with the transmission. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I'm not used to driving a truck um, and trying to, you know, finesse it through some some areas. Or something. Well, finesse is not the Escalade's strong point. No, I mean. it seemed to not really enjoy that. It, it really does like to be pressed, like driven authoritatively, I guess is the best well, way to say well, it. I, I, was, I wasn't even referring to that. I was just like, this is a very big boned vehicle. Um, all the Escalades come with standard air suspension, oh, yeah. which is optional. This is the best part of the car. The ride it, is fantastic. It's optional on other, other GM SUVs. The car is, it's very floaty. It's very disconnected. Uh, it does not handle per se <laughs> it's more like you're guiding it the the drivetrain is adequate i like this motor i always have um but sport mode touring mode it doesn't really matter i didn't no notice difference. a huge difference it's got magnetic but it ride does con- ride so well like it, it is so soft it is it is exactly what i would have expected for like 
uh, it feels like you're riding a in a plane or a boat. Like it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's it got feels magnetic ride control box. too, right, Sammy? Yeah. So uh, this so time, we're, both, this time we're like sure. Suspension. It's got magnetic ride control. It's got like everything. It's so bizarre to have so much uh, suspension technology in a single vehicle, um, but and they it, they pull it off. And an independent rear suspension, which is the first time for the Escalade, um, as with all GM SUVs. We talked about it on the Yukon Denali a couple months ago. But uh, so the, the ride is what you would expect out of an Escalade. It's it's decently. Quick. I don't know. I think it's better. I think I expected a truck like ride, and I didn't quite. I got something better. I think. But it has a truck like personality right. when you're driving it because it's so right. big and it is it so unwieldy. Jiggle around as much as a truck can sometimes. No. Uh, but uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention about the the drive too. We 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 when we were talking about info the infotainment system, we didn't mention the augmented reality navigation that comes with the Escalade now and the night vision. Sammy, you want to talk about those things? I can talk about the night vision. I used that a bit. I used it um, a bit. So it it shows like it. I'd rather start with the augmented reality because okay. a lot has been made of this. I don't think it's as big a deal as Cadillac is making it seem. Uh, but what they do is there's a set of cameras on the windshield at the top, just like Subaru with its eyesight system. And they they can project a view of the road ahead onto the gauge cluster directly in front of you. This is the, the ultimate in duplication. There's no need for this, right? Uh, you're taking your eyes off the road to look at the road. It's kind of weird. But the reason they do it is because if you're using the in-vehicle navigation system... They, the way that they're displaying prompts for turns or exits or whatever it is you have to take while you're driving is they, they overlay kind of like if you ever played like Ridge Racer or whatever where they have like the big chevrons that appear telling you to turn right, turn left. Yeah. They, they overlay that onto the video feed and when you don't have to turn, they have like an arrow in a circle telling you to go straight. So it's kind of like playing a video game except you're driving, which is the most dangerous thing I can imagine right. from a description. You do get those kinds of prompts in the head-up display, anyways, right? Like, yeah. So I'm not saying I'm not admit, saying this it's not the is... only automaker that does this. Mercedes does this, and I think BMW is starting to get involved in it as well. So I'm not saying it's dangerous. I was just saying, like, it's, it's as a concept, it sounds dangerous, right. but it's it's not as wow factor as you'd think it would be. Um, it's it's kind of eye candy. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's better than a navigation that just shows you a map. Mm-hmm. personally because the way this stuff appears on the screen is you have very little time to react to it because it has to show you to turn when the turn appears it can't show you before like you could see on a regular navigation where you'd have an arrow and it says 500 feet right mm-hmm. but for the cadillac it's only once it comes into your field of vision because if they show you an arrow and you turn too early then that defeats the purpose of the system so i thought that was just a little bit gimmicky okay um, I will admit that the the night vision was was both underwhelming and also extremely impressive in two different ways. Is as a night vision camera, it didn't work really well for me. I, I think it's more of a thermal vision and will um, highlight the the warm parts of a vehicle in front of you. So like the exhaust the un- system or the tires. <laughs> yes. However, it can detect people in this view in this in this screen. From a wild distance away from before you would ever see them. If you're if you're in a in a, a small town where there aren't as many streetlights, this thing was picking up people on the side of the road and it and it highlights them with a big yellow box to make sure that you you see them on that screen. So, so what you're saying is if you're hunting the night in a small town where there aren't a lot of people and perhaps not a lot of law enforcement, it's 
an ideal target oh selection God. device, Sammy? That's not what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. That's really morbid, man. What's I only heck? had the little box show up to pick up tires and stuff. Like I didn't. It never picked up people for me. I was driving it into city and on a highway. Really? It yeah. picked up something other than people. Yeah, it picked up the back tire of a car that was directly in front of me. That was another weird thing about the camera as well. It's you have awesome. this super high def display for the augmented reality navigation. The infrared camera is like a box display. That shows up in the gauge cluster, but on a smaller space, and it's much lower. So you're only really you're getting a viewpoint that's not like a bird's eye view or a human's no. eye view. It's like a bumper view. So that's a little weird and jarring. Um, the last thing I want to say though about the camera system: if you have the windshield wipers on because it's snowing, you are going to go crazy looking at the <laughs> augmented reality because the wipers go in front of it and it goes bloop bloop and it like kind of makes a flicker. <laughs> right. Um, actually, if you want to talk about the camera a little bit, I mentioned the the camera app or whatever. Uh, and one of the one of the view modes is this like third person. Uh, it shows the vehicle in this 3D space, and you can rotate the camera around. And I discussed this with the Land Rover Defender, and I thought it was really impressive looking there, really realistic, and and it, it felt like a video game. The 3D model of the of the Escalade in its version of this looks awful, like really awful. It does not look um, like the proportions look weird. It looks stubby and strange and it just like the, there aren't as many details in the vehicle. So I know it's a really gimmicky feature, not one that I really, um, I, I couldn't, use. I don't I couldn't know why, why anyone would ever use yeah. it. Like I, I don't I know why this feature is useful, but it is cool. It's nice to show up. I guess um, so. Except if you, unless you're me with zero passengers driving an eight passenger vehicle. <laughs> Yes. Um, and I also need to add, I was impressed with the, the air suspension. Drops it, I think, about two inches or so and uh, helps me navigate into a condo parking lot without uh, too much of, a, of an issue. So I was happy with that. In fact, there were some moments when I was wondering if this had rear steering because I found the the turning radius to be much better than I expected. I don't think it does, no. I don't think so either, but it was just, it was a little bit, like I said, finessing it with a, was a little bit easier than I had anticipated. So so kind of going back to the, is this just a more expensive Yukon Denali or is it finally worth its salt? Um, the pricing difference between the vehicles is interesting. The Cadillac starts at 77490 uh for a two-wheel drive base model. The Denali starts at $68,195 if you want to get the diesel or $69,695 with the gas motor. So there's an $8,000 difference between them. But the reality is there's only one trim level for Denali. So if you get it and option it up, sure, you're going to be spending some money. But the Cadillac, it goes all the way up to $101 uh, as a starting trim. So there's there's a significant price gap between the vehicles. I think... If just based on the interior alone, the vehicle does warrant an $8,000 price increase, maybe even more, Sammy. I, I think that this, yeah. it feels like it's worth more than a Yukon. I would still buy the Denali because for me, the drive experiences are similar enough that I wouldn't necessarily want to pay more for the Cadillac. But if you're really swayed by the interior and the fit and finish and the features and gadgets and gizmos, I could see buying the Escalade instead. I'm impressed with this because it shows the the strength, the the quality that Cadillac can achieve when it like wants to. And it, this is really important to talk about because there's other products that Cadillac, almost every other product that Cadillac puts out, is lacking in, in this quality, in this effort. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week with, with Alexis, and I see it happening with Cadillac. This is the flagship 
product. This is what makes Cadillac Cadillac. And I think it doesn't matter how much it costs because this is the there are so few cars that do exactly what this Escalade does in all in that whole package. And I think you can pay you can pay that price. In fact, I do think it's a bit of a bargain at that point. That's an interesting way to put it. Uh, there, there's one more thing I want to mention about the Escalade before we move on. I used it to move a snowblower a fairly long distance because it's that season and uh, driveways need to be cleared. So I have an electric snowblower and it's the battery powered. So there's no like gas or anything dripping inside the vehicle. It's, it's pretty clean. And I thought it would be a, a fairly easy thing to move, but um, I didn't want to disassemble it. So it fits it fit inside with the seats folded forward, mm-hmm. but the problem was it was a little bit too tall to stand up completely. So it was at an angle, and I was looking for tie-downs inside the vehicle. There's tie-downs at the back of the Escalade in the, okay. car- the initial part of the cargo compartment, but at the front there's nothing. So I had the handles at the front of the of the vehicle, and I had the blades at the back, facing the back. I had to take the seatbelts from the passengers in the second row and tie them in knots around the handles of the, oh uh, of, the of the snowblower just to stabilize it, to keep it from moving, because it's, it's a motorized snowblower, so the gears on the wheels prevented it from rolling. But otherwise, like, it was going to flip back and forth the whole time. And I didn't want it slamming into the headliner over and over. So I'm like, why are there not tie-downs all along the length of the cargo compartment? There has – it seems like a real oversight for a vehicle designed to haul a ton of cargo. <laughs> that is an interest. I mean, you're right. There needs to be tie-downs in this thing. And I agree with you. There, were, there was a bit of a lack of, of cargo accessibility, I think. Uh, or versatility. Um, I do like the fact that you can fold the rear seats from the driver's seat for some reason, which is great. You can just torture the people in the back seats there. Um, but you, it does need tie downs. You're right. So uh, anything else you want to say about the Escalade, Sammy? No, but it is interesting. We should talk about an, an Escalade. And especially I did try. I did spend a lot of time in it. I, I did a little like uh, sightseeing around town. There are a bunch of cities in my in my um, in my province that are named after bigger international cities. So to celebrate an anniversary with my um, wife, we decided to go and visit all of these like makeshift countries all in the back, in, in the back parts of Ontario. And I thought that was a lot of fun to do that in the Escalade. But there have been some pretty cool drives that we've been on. I mean, this is, this has been a very strange year and some pretty, you know, how did we get things done when, you know, everything is all closed or aren't as many places to drive Ben, why don't we talk about some of the cool cars we've driven and the cool places we've seen? Well, I, I didn't see too many cool places. Uh, unlike you, I'm not very creative when it comes to impressing my significant other on the road. That's um, not true. I thought that was a cool trip, though. I, I really thought that was a really cool idea, and I liked seeing the photos that came from it. <laughs> if you want to see those photos, you've got to follow Sammy on Instagram, which I highly recommend you do, at um, Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, in any case... Uh, I, you know, this is the last, second to last episode of the year we're talking about. It's the last episode that'll be published um, in 2020. So thinking about the most memorable cars I drove this year, uh, it's it was an interesting mix. I mean, I drove a lot of decent SUVs. The Denali was something that I, I really liked until I drove the Escalade. I mean, it didn't take away from it, but just, I guess I'm saying that the evolution of GM's full-size SUVs has been impressive. I'm glad that they did that, giving them the independent rear suspension and the interior makeover. Um, I, But in terms of other big SUVs, I thought the X7, Sammy, was mm-hmm. a revelation. I think it's my favorite of the large German SUVs. It's the only one that really feels like it's on brand. It does feel like a big BMW instead of just kind of something big that's luxurious with a badge on it. 
Right. So uh, that impressed me. I'm going to counter that with the um, – it's it's a tiny bit smaller, but the uh, Genesis GV80 was an extremely competent, um, a very good vehicle for – a very good first SUV for an all-new luxury brand. And I think that's not easy to do. As we just mentioned with 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 the Cadillac Escalade, the benchmark for luxury and premium vehicles is extremely high. We just mentioned things like like augmented reality and, and night vision and – what else did we talk about? This Things you reading? totally don't need. Although I have a friend right. who has a Cadillac CT6 with night vision, and he says it's very, very useful uh, in rural areas at night uh, on yeah. local trips for finding wildlife and stuff. He really appreciates that. So absolutely, I saw a deer crossing the street because of it. So or crossing the road because of it. So um, and another SUV that impressed me this year is the Lincoln Aviator. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, 15 years ago, there was a terrible vehicle called the Aviator that was so bad, they sold it for a couple of years and then just never sold it again. And then they came back with something that, again, was like the previous Aviator based on the Ford Explorer, but very, very different to the point where it felt like a legitimate luxury product. That's really hard to do. And uh, I was impressed with that. Although I have to say, Sammy, I think both the Aviator and the Explorer have undergone 10 recalls in their first year of production. I know the the Explorer um, for sure. I'm not sure if all every recall the, to the Explorer went to the Aviator. I think well, the Aviator had six and the uh, Explorer had ten. Yikes! That's that not is great. Not good. <laughs> that's something scary. And you know, that's a that's a brand new. Both of those vehicles are brand new for this year. And there's so much hype about Bronco and Bronco Sport. I really hope Ford gets it together because. For those two vehicles to have a similar experience as Explorer owners have dealt with over this past year, I think would be semi-disastrous for Ford. Although I know that some of the later Explorer um, callbacks were limited to, I think, 1,000 to 1,500 examples. So it wasn't like a, a full line recall. But I mean, you have to put that in, in consideration. Like the Explorer is an extremely popular product. It sells a lot. You should yes. imagine that they would put the care and quality into this. Um, into this product, they wouldn't be surprised by those by those recalls. For sure. Um, I- one more luxury SUV that I want to bring up, maybe not even fully luxury, was the Defender. Um, the Land Rover Defender was a surprise to me. I didn't expect to like it as much as it was as much as I did. It is not a Wrangler, but it is also a tiny bit cooler than, say, a Land Cruiser, which hasn't been around in a while or hasn't been like significantly updated in a while. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the Defender in the coming year. Um, maybe the two-door version, which would be kind of cool. And hopefully there are people out there who, who find it as, um, like, are easy to be, uh, easy to attach themselves to this Defender, like the, the last generation or the last version of the Defender, which had so many fans around the world. Uh, another, another uh, one of the last luxury cars I want to mention is the uh, BMW M550 X-Drive. Uh, that's something, you know, it's, it's, it's BMW's family sedan. I think that as long as the X the, the M550 exists, the M5 is kind of not needed. Uh, right. My argument for that is very few people take the M5 to the racetrack. It's very big. It's very heavy. It goes through crazy consumables, and it's not necessarily a ton of fun. It's just very, very fast and competent. I think that the M550 is very nearly as fast. I think it's within a, a few tenths of a second, zero to 60, for a lot less money. It's $20,000 less. And it does everything you need it to do. It does it way quicker than it should. And it's it's my stealth pick for probably best sports sedan from from the Germans. That you've you've got too many BMWs on your list now. But I'm well, I have going, two. Yeah, that's too many. Wow. So I'm going to <laughs> but I'm going to bolster it a little bit. 
by saying something similar about the 8 Series, the BMW 8 Series, which I was really impressed with, but not so much impressed with the M8. Totally in a, a completely unnecessary vehicle when the M850 was already perfectly good. So it's, um, it's so both. weird that I think we've gotten to this world where the M cars, which are track-oriented, the badges are now almost exclusively applied to vehicles you would never take to the track. So right. they can go on the track, but you're never going to do it. The 8 Series, perfect example. The X5M, we talked about this year. The M5, um, really the only M cars you'd want to take on the track, I guess the M3, the M4, the M2. Yeah. Uh, everything else just feels like there's a much better version that's not m badge. that's a heck of a lot cheaper. And just as, and just as engaging and fun to drive on the road. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think they still Maybe have Maybe more so. Like, and they still have that, like brand equity when somebody looks at a bmw that's done up in m850 series uh or or like uh guys you're still gonna go like wow that's awesome they're not no one's gonna be like well you could have gotten the m8 it would have looked better no for sure um i will add that i did get to drive some pretty cool we did get to drive some pretty cool cars on, uh, on the track including the brand new c8 corvette which we did over in in las vegas yeah so the c8 you know it's not a car that i am interested in owning but uh, it's you gotta so, give it some respect. You really do for the price for sixty thousand dollars. You get essentially a mid-engine supercar, and it's very hard to argue against that. I, I'm not interested in an automatic only mid-engine supercar. I'm not. But the mm-hmm. Corvette is a very impressive piece of machinery, and I think it definitely ends up on the best lists for 2020. I, th- I, I think, think they really the- did it. They really did it right. It's it's not as interesting to drive as it once was. But it, it's it's very it's it's a clinical, extremely quick sports car. Do you think? It, hold on, there is only a, a few things that I found um, really missing about this car. First of all, it wasn't exciting to drive at high speeds. That was my biggest disappointment with it. Um, it could get up to high speeds pretty quickly, which is fine, and it sounds pretty good. But there's something about that punch in like the, the at the highway speeds or on the track that you just don't get. Um, when you're driving this, this it's far more civilized than the C7, and that takes a lot of the raucous fun out of the picture. Uh, it's not a brash car at all. It's 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 a very smooth car. It's, it's just a totally different driving experience, and I think it's fascinating that GM is able to do this at the price they do it at. I think that's a really big part of it, and uh, I think it can run with exotics that cost you know twice as much. I have to throw in, a, while we're talking about cars we drove this year, I have to throw in, I did I did get to drive my first Ferrari, which was a mid-engine, um, the F8 Tributo Coupe, which was on, um, which was a pretty impressive drive on, on, what was I again? Road Atlanta, which was wild, which was such a cool experience, and one that I'm probably going to carry for the rest of my career. I think that was really cool. And the, the last car I think I want to mention is uh, Subaru BRZ. Um, okay. The, the best sports car that nobody buys. Um, every time I'm in that car, I'm like, why don't I own one of these cars? It's, yeah, you message me about it all the time. It's totally ignored by the mainstream. I know Sammy owns a BRZ. He's one of the few people who actually ponied up and put their money down. But uh, you could spend a lot more money than Subaru sells this car for and come away with something that's not nearly as fun. And every year it's going to be on my list if I get a chance to drive it. You know, I don't think we've talked about it, but they did reveal a next generation model. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it until okay. I've driven it. So Okay, I want, I want to talk about um, two more maybe mainstream vehicles, and then we'll close up this, this, um, this podcast. Um, first of all, the Polestar 2, which I thought was really interesting. A very, uh, this is a brand that hopefully we'll hear a little bit more of in the future when it comes to all EV 
or all electric motoring. I was really impressed with what they could do. It's a very intriguing body style. It has a really high-end infotainment system and really solid build quality that I think can can put the screws to Tesla if they just match up that um, that performance and range that Tesla can can boast over its its all electric rivals. I don't know if I call it mainstream though, Polestar. I think they're trying to get to this level of mainstreamness because this is, I think, a sixty or seventy sixty thousand dollar car, which isn't too expensive. I think that's pretty that's somewhat accessible. You heard it here first, folks. Sixty seventy thousand dollars, not too expensive. Semi-house. Somewhat accessible. Somewhat accessible. You're right. I mean, once you add in like incentives, um, electric vehicle incentives, that makes it a little bit more of a uh, more accessible vehicle. And you can definitely consider that easier. Another vehicle that is far more um, accessible and one that really surprised me, I didn't expect it to be this good, was the new Hyundai Elantra. And the Elantra is coming with a host of different trim levels in the future. There's going to be a, a hot um, N version. There's going to be a less spicy N line version. There's going to be a hybrid um, for all of the green fans, and there's a couple of trims of the the standard model, and, and I was really impressed with the design, which which was odd because I think in papers, I mean, in, on paper or in photos, it looks really awkward, but in person, it looks really good, and I was really impressed with the interior and the ride quality, despite it not using a independent rear suspension system. So, uh, if you are out there thinking about 2020 and the cars that came out over the past year are the ones that we've talked about on the podcast, and you want to let us know which ones you found the most interesting, or maybe talk to us about what you're looking forward to for 2021 that's coming out. I know there's some interesting vehicles like Rivian and whatnot that are be hitting the market. Um, you can get a hold of us and talk to us about that in a bunch of ways. Probably the best way is on social media. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. You can find Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can email us at Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or go to our website, UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com, and there is a contact form there. You can fill out all your details, and it shows up in our inbox. And when you're at our website, that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can easily subscribe to the podcast. There's a bunch of buttons on the top of the website which allow you to, to subscribe using your favorite podcast client. Or, of course, you can, just, you can just go into your podcast client, search us up, and hit subscribe. It's pretty easy that way. Additionally, um, our website has a list of all of the – like fr- what is it? Past episodes and some <laughs> photos as well as <laughs> – yes, Ben? <laughs> no, no, go on. And some photos and links to the stories that we've written about the cars. And uh, next week, uh, I'm going to be talking about the BMW X5 45e, which is a plug-in version of the SUV. And I'm pretty excited because I've just picked it up. And I have already found myself impressed with several aspects of the driving experience. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? Ben, are you going to be raving about another BMW? Like, this is this is getting tiring. I can't get... I can't... I, you need to come at me with some critical aspects of this BMW. X5. Critical just, aspects of this. B- I think I've been critical of a number of BMWs lately. I think I. I think I was pretty true, harsh actually. on the X5M. So and the two series and the two series, which was what last week, week before. So you yeah. need to change your tune. All right, I'm driving the Toyota Avalon, which is now available in all-wheel drive form. Okay, well, that's interesting. I didn't even <laughs> know that vehicle was still available. <laughs> I know. So I think there's some, I believe there's some interest there. But of course, there's also some people who didn't even know it still existed. <laughs> I'm definitely curious to hear what you have to say. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, not just this week, but this year. Yes, thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.